You guys, holy crap, it's Free Weed, episode number 83. High Times presents Free Weed from Danny Denko and Mike Hughes. Mike, how are you? Ah, man, is this thing on? (laughs) It's been a while. It has been a while. Uh, We should definitely fill people in. We went on a bit of a hiatus there. Um, Took some time off. Um, You know, we had some issues, uh, some cannabis cups all piled together. I had a little health scare with a little shingles, uh, although that's all gone now. Um, and yeah, and now we're back. We did a little bit of retooling of the show as well. I mean, we're going to make it a little, you know, a little less formal, a little more, uh, you know, conversational and just, you know, bring you guys the, the, uh, you know, the facts, <laughs> <laughs> but, but not formally, like, not we, formally. We felt that I you mean, guys were put off by our very, our formality. Well, we just sort of loosened up the, the, you know, the we're genre looser now. Yeah. yeah, we're a little looser. Um, we got a great interview in store for you guys, but first, you know, we should just let you guys know. Um, yeah, we're back. This is episode eighty-three. Um, we're gonna go back to the little intro music, and uh, and then we'll get back. Thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the tune. Welcome back to Free Weed. I hope you guys uh, aren't too upset that we took some time off, but uh, we'll get into that uh, shortly. And welcome to episode number eighty-three, triumphant return. Return. return? No, return. Return. Return of free weed. All right. There you have it. Episode number 83. Here we are. Um, Like I said, it's been a while. We understand. We've gotten your tweets. We've gotten your Facebook messages. We've gotten your emails. We've gotten your death threats. We've gotten the death threats, too. And we understand, you know, you guys want free weed. We love free weed as well. And um, we had a little bit of time when we just sort of, we took some time off and uh, sort of just re-examined what we're doing here with the podcast. Everyone's happy. Um, You know, the listeners, the advertisers. Uh, the hosts, me and you, yeah. The producers, the I actually, I was... audio engineers, the <laughs> the many social media Our research people, assistants, that, research assistants, yeah. all the people behind the show. The kid who gets me my lattes. <laughs> Wait, that's me. Oh, it is you. <laughs> I was enjoying but... living on a houseboat for the last three months. <laughs> that's what I was doing. Well, a lot has happened, and we want to fill you guys in. Okay. okay, we had a cannabis cup in Michigan. It went awesome. That was it great. Was, yeah, it was really amazing. Second year we were there in Clio at the racetrack. Uh, wonderful spirit, wonderful people, uh, great weed, great hash, great everything, edibles, topicals, whatever it is. Any way you want to, like, get weed into your system, yeah. it was there. Suppositories. It was all I great. I don't know. I, you know, I didn't see that or I didn't was feel Was I that. using that wrong? I don't know if I felt I might have been using those wrong. <laughs> I don't know if I felt that, but... But well, we don't we don't want to get super into Michigan because it was a little while ago. Mm-hmm. But if you guys want to know who won, we have a bunch of great highlight videos. We have great articles, so you could uh, you could experience some of that. And um, it's on the site hightimes.com. We uh, encourage you to check that out. Absolutely. Um, also, in the meantime, uh, we were trying to put together an event in Portland. Uh, it didn't happen. They're still working on one for 2016. Um, just trying to get the proper permits and you know all the stuff in place although we did put together a central california cannabis cup for halloween weekend we're calling it halloween uh it's october 31st and november 1st that weekend um tickets are on sale at cannabiscup.com so you can check that out it's just outside of fresno yes very central cali and i actually i heard something correct me if i'm wrong here uh do you get some sort of prize or discount if you come dressed in costume to this is that is that true you know i haven't heard that but that would be awesome and i hope people will dress up i mean obviously it's halloween weekend we're gonna have a lot of fun with that um i'm certainly excited to see all the different costumes that people come up with and it should be very fun out there um we're very excited to have a third event in cali we have the norcal we have the socal and now we have central cal right in the middle 
And you know what? Actually, we have a live free weed that's coming from there. So uh, why don't you guys tweet us uh, costume ideas? How do you think <laughs> that Dan and I should dress up for that live free weed? Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, yeah. And also Negril Jamaica. That Jamaica. is the first World Cannabis Cup. It's in association, of course, with the Rastafari Roots Fest with a Z. And we're doing a cannabis cup down in Negril, Jamaica. That's November 12th through the 15th. Again, more information and ticket sales are at CannabisCup.com. We're not going to get too into all the details, but it's going to be very exciting. You can imagine the musical guests are going to be amazing. Uh, we're working with the Rastas to put this thing on. Very respectful of Jamaican herb and culture and um, indigenous strains and all of that. So we made some kind of agreement with the, the Jamaican government, which right. is a huge thing oh, yeah, to, yeah. to put this on, right? Absolutely. I mean, we met with the highest levels of Jamaican government in order to get an exemption so that people can come down there and enjoy the cannabis without, uh, you know, any sort of harassment. And so it's going to be very exciting. It's the first time it's ever happened. The first time a country has gotten on board with the Cannabis Cup. I mean, of course, we did the Netherlands for many years, 27, 26 years, um, many years. And, you know, we had the sort of tacit you know, but wouldn't call it approval, but tolerance. They didn't fuck with us hardcore. <laughs> they didn't fuck with us hardcore. But then, you know, in the last few years they have, and hey, we're happy to go to a place where we're wanted. I, I, to me, it's like, you know, that speech in uh, The Godfather where Hyman Roth says to uh, Michael, you know, we finally have a government <laughs> <laughs> that we can work with. We're going to be bigger than U.S. Steel. <laughs> and there you go. Yeah, high times in Jamaica teaming up just seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's a DC business conference being planned in December uh, 14th through 16th, and then of course uh, in 2016 we started back all back up again with SoCal uh, in San Bernardino in February, and then of course Denver in April and NorCal in Clio, and you know the cycle continues, and we're excited. I mean, I never would have thought when I started uh, here, I don't know how many years ago, what was it? one or something like that, but uh, 14 years, that's pretty 14 good. 14 years, yeah. yeah, about full time. I never would have imagined we'd have these American events. I never would have imagined that we'd have an event in Jamaica. We'd have business conferences, cannabis cups all over the country. Um, so it's exciting. So even with the loss of uh, temporary, I hope, the temporary temporary loss of uh, Amsterdam in November, um, this will be this will actually be the first uh, Thanksgiving I get to spend with family for over a decade yeah, which is that's exciting nice. five years for me so it'll be good and and you they know what they don't know from turkey over there either no. it's not really a bird that they're familiar with no. in, in europe i don't their ovens aren't even big enough for turkeys they're and they, they care not about our thanksgiving either. no yeah no. it's really kind of a very american holiday i'm convinced that we will be back in amsterdam and i'm also pretty certain that we will be in portland at some point yes but these things take time absolutely and, uh, and we're, we're always stay on it we're always looking for new places too so um, you know, if you're on the East Coast and you know of a great venue or, you know, we, we love these racetracks. That's a that's been a great <laughs> place to do events. That's what we're doing in uh, in Central Cali as well. So, yeah, that's great. And uh, yeah, besides Cannabis Cups, let's talk about High Times magazines. All right. Yeah, yeah we have this new uh, November issue, which just mm -hmm. dropped and it is the dabs issue. Dabs. Yeah. Dabs, which, you know, if you're if you don't know, dabs are, um, you know, concentrates. Uh, essential extracts taken from the <laughs> cannabis plant, uh, uh -huh. butane hash oil, BHO, BHO, honey oil, sometimes people say, but mm -hmm. basically hash. It's the yeah. modern version of hash. And we love it. We love dabs. Uh, as long as they're clean and they're made right and, you know, you don't, uh, you know, injure yourself or others in the production of them and you're very smart and chemistry-wise instead of, uh, you know, just burrowing it up in the yard or something so yeah if there's even the slightest possibility that you're going to blow yourself up uh don't make dabs please don't yeah but you know leave it up to the experts and the yeah. experts are making uh, i mean the the amount of, of of higher quality dabs these days is really exciting and um you know there's the shatters there's the waxes there's all the different kinds and that's all described in this issue um very lovingly by our colleague bobby black yes uh, among others job. of course and and I, have a, I have something for you, because part of this report, obviously, it gets into a lot of different aspects of uh, what's going on with dabs right now. But one of them is a, a new way of making dabs, which is called live resin. Now, for the people listening who may not know, could you just briefly explain what that technique entails? Well, there's two different things. I mean, there's live resin and fresh frozen, which are ways to make dabs 
out of material that hasn't been dried. So you take... Um, so that's why it's live. Right. Because it, it hasn't been... You harvest it and immediately it's, you know, flash frozen. And then, you know, the, the um, extraction process is done with that frozen material rather than something that's been dried. A lot of people consider that the terpene preservation is much stronger. There's more flavor. There's more potency. And, you know, from what I've tried, I'd have to say yes. But there's also a technique called rosin. Um, yeah. in which you're just using like a hair straightener, a flattener thing. And so it's just heat and pressure. Yeah. Or um, a shirt press if you're really into it. Shirt presses. And now, you know, companies are coming out with actual, you know, presses with heat in them to, you know, get the most out of uh, every bud. But you've basically just flattened the bud into a little piece of pancake and the dabs kind of come out on the outside. And um, if you have lots of bud to work with, it's actually a pretty nice way to concentrate your your resins. Um if you're not working with a lot of pot, you, you probably not. It's probably not the best bet. You know, maybe roll a joint or, or <laughs> cook with it, or you know, pack bowls or whatever yeah. it might be. But, um, but for rock- the for the live resin, uh, do you personally feel like there's a, a noticeable difference when you're 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 smoking those dabs as opposed to just your regular, you know, BHO? Uh yeah. I mean, you know, the thing about it is that there's so many. There's so many subtle differences, and some are some are you know better, and some are are maybe not as great. But you know, I love shatter. I love a nice pull and snap um, that's made with butane oil or uh, butane, as long as it's you know purged out and done right with heat and vacuum. Um, but yeah, fresh frozen, the flavors there, the the terpene preservations there, um, the potencies there. Um, the product is a little more like kind of goopy and oily. So depending on how it's made, um, yeah. And who's making it and, you know, where they're making it and out of what product. Because no, you can't make great hash out of uh, a crappy product. You have to start with great flowers to make great hash. And they should be fresh. Um, Whether you freeze them right after harvest or not, they shouldn't be something that has sat around for for a year or more. Um, You're just going to get a darker oil. You're going to have a lot more degradation of your cannabinoids and terpenes and flavonoids and all that. So, yeah, and that's what this issue is all about. It's really to sort of enlighten people as to what's really the cutting edge technology in concentration of cannabis. And very exciting for patients, very exciting for connoisseurs. And, you know, with the things that have been happening in Denver and, and, um, you know, Washington and Oregon and Alaska, and, and, you know, it's only going to get more uh, added to the forefront, all of these concentrates and ways to make them and, and safety and all those things. So it's very exciting to see all these things are changing almost like cup to cup. You know, we see the quality of, you know, um, something like, let's say, solventless extracts. I mean, every cup they seem to improve on the quality of, of the product. And now you can even take those solventless um, sort of grainy, sandy kind of looking product and press it with the rosin technique and make it into a very dabbable product, um, which people are enjoying. And and I'm personally enjoying, you know, as we travel. So uh, a very exciting special dab issue. It's our November 2015 issue of High Times Magazine. It's got stuff about remote control growing. It's got a great article by Mel Frank about uh, who we interview actually in this episode. Um, about perpetual pot growing legally in Arizona, of all places. So um, you've got this place where people aren't quite aware of what's really going on, but lots and lots of marijuana is being grown legally in Arizona. So he goes into that a lot. Um, Jorge on flowering, on like the most important part of flowering from his book, um, which is amazing, Uh, The Cannabis Encyclopedia, a new book you can get on Amazon. Uh, interview with Jesse Ventura, all kinds of interesting stuff going on in this issue. So um, definitely get out there and cop that. It's the November issue. Of course, the December issue coming up is the top 10 strains issue where I pick uh, my favorite strains. And we're doing something interesting with that that we'll let you guys in on soon. Um, suffice it to say, it's something people have been asking us to do for years and and the technology finally caught up. So <laughs> Probably the number one request that we get at high time. So, for yeah, for well, the print magazine, for sure. Should we just tell them? Is this a secret? Let's just say if you scratch it, you may <laughs> be able to sniff it. Oh. So, <laughs> but that's between yeah. you you and us. Don't right? tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. All right. Um, so, yeah, that's the November issue. What about, let's see, in the news, um, great, some great news um, about Jeff Mazansky, who was, was uh, one of the longest serving nonviolent marijuana mm-hmm. prisoners and recently 
received clemency. He was he actually had a life sentence. He was going to die in jail, which is an absolute tragedy and a travesty of justice. Um, but he was released um, due to a lot of people's efforts, due to a lot of um, attention that has been placed on the issue. So we congratulate Jeff Mazansky on his release. Um, he certainly should never have spent the 21 or so years in prison that he did um, for a nonviolent marijuana offense. But at the same time, um, a, a small modicum of justice has been served by him being released from prison and being able to hang out with his family and go fishing and all the things that nonviolent people should be allowed to do in our society. So um, good news there. Well, it's, it's a great story, but it's also kind of infuriating to me because it's like, here's this guy just wasting away in prison, was convinced he was going to die in prison. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all it took was us putting some pressure on the, the government there, on the governor, and voila, he's out. Absolutely. And, and this could have happened years ago. There was no reason for this man to lose so much of his life behind bars. It's a shame on all of us that that occurred. And for every Jeff Mazansky or Eddie Lepp and all these other people that we fight for, there are so many thousands that we don't know their names that are languishing away in jails. And this, the war on pot doesn't end just because somebody in Colorado can grow their own or, or somebody over here can do something. The, the, the real end to all of this is when all of those prisoners are freed. And uh, that's that's really like that's when we'll know we've actually achieved something. I mean, sh- everything else is a step in the right direction. But until those prisoners are freed, we still keep fighting for this because, it, I mean, you know, this guy, you know, he had a lot of people behind him, a lot of support. Uh, and he represents a ton of other people who are still behind bars. So we keep the fight going in their name. And and like I said, it doesn't end until they're free. And I don't mean to be a, a downer on this. It's a great story. And it, it shows the power of uh, of this movement, you know, of, of what we can do with the concentrated effort. It's just a shame, you know, to think of how much time he actually spent behind bars for nonviolent pot crimes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, we do our best. Chris Simonak, our Sorted Affairs editor, uh, does his best to bring cases like Jeff's to light. And we appreciate it when we get emails and tweets about people that we should be looking into and supporting. Mm-hmm. But like Dan said, there's so many out there that are that are suffering right now behind bars and we don't even know their names. Mm-hmm. So anything you, you can do if there's a, a petition on change.org or a way to shine a light on, on these uh, prisoners, please do it. I know there's a, a lot of great organizations out there who are doing this pot, uh, pot for prisoners and a bunch of others. Um, yeah, the guest this week is amazing. Uh, for those who don't know, Mel Frank is an absolute legend in the cannabis cultivation world um, as an author, as a photographer, uh, as a contributor to High Times. Uh, he's written numerous cannabis books as well. Um, over the years, some of the first. He's got a lot of very interesting things to say about marijuana cultivation. He's been around since the beginning of the real like push in America to get people to grow their own. Um, he's responsible for so many people growing their own. I mean, he co-wrote books with Ed Rosenthal, um, Marijuana Grower's Guide, Deluxe Color Revised Edition, um, The Insider's Guide, so many great books um, that he's been a part of. Um, and great photography, great articles in High Times Magazine, incredible uh, information that he has helped to spread, and he's been a part of it for so long. So we're ex- very excited to have Mel Frank uh, here at Freeweed to talk to us. Let's take a little break and then come back with Mel Frank. Let's do it. All right, you guys, shout out to BC Northern Lights, our our loyal sponsors, helping people grow since 2001. Please check them out, 888-236-1266. They got a variety of different grow boxes, all kinds of different stuff. And if you just want to get in the game and just grow four plants, they got the roommate. It's not big. Uh, It's like the size of a wine fridge. It's really not a a, a cumbersome machine. You can have it shipped. You can uh, put it all together very quickly. It doesn't take a lot of effort. And you can grow four really nice-sized plants in this thing with 400-watt lights and fans and everything all built in. Uh, Touchscreen technology um, built to grow. I mean, that's what these things do. They have drier machines. They have, um, you know, larger ones that will grow, 
you know, the producer, the bloom box. The bloom box is cool because, you know, you've got your mother plant area, you've got your vegging and cloning area, and you've got your flowering area. So you've got everything all in one place um, for perpetual growing uh, of nine plants at a time. So if you have plant limits or any that kind of thing, check them out. Um, check them out at bcnorthernlights.com. You know, we, these guys are great. They're easy to contact. They're easy to talk to. They will help you out anytime, seven days a week. Um, they, they want you to succeed with their grow boxes. They're not just selling you a box and walking away. Um, and that's something we really appreciate. They are part of the business. They've been part of the business and they will continue to be. And I can't imagine how many, you know, many, many pounds of weed have been grown in BC Northern Lights grow boxes. But uh, you can check out their website and see exactly, you know, how it works. And give them a call at 888-236-1266, bcnorthernlights.com. All right, we are back, and uh, we have the great privilege today to be talking to Mr. Mel Frank. Mel Frank, welcome. Oh, thank you. Glad All to right. be here. Uh, and... Uh, if you listen to the show, you, you probably know the name, uh, but if you don't know the name, uh, Mel Frank has been writing about marijuana for over four decades now, right. uh, starting in 1971. And that that's before High Times even started. I mean, that's uh, 1971, yes. and that was under the name Mel Frank as well, right? Yes. Well, that was a pseudonym that I, I uh, made up uh, uh on the spot when the publisher called me from uh, Rolling Stone and, and said they were going to part publish the article in a two-part series and asked me what name I wanted to publish it under. And of course, I hadn't given any thought to that, but I certainly didn't want my own name uh, considering what the political climate was at the time. Right, right. Um, so then, okay, a few years later, um, 1974, you and uh, Ed Rosenthal uh, co-wrote a book called... Uh, the Marijuana Grower's Guide, Indoor, Outdoor, Highest Quality. Yes. Neither one of us had anything to do with the name of that book. <laughs> <laughs> the publisher put that on there. But we really took the two-part uh, article from Rolling Stone and then flushed it out some more. And Ed shopped it around uh, eventually. About a year later, I think, uh, Level Press in San Francisco published it. And they sold the rights uh, maybe a couple of years later to Andor Press, which became our next publisher for the Marijuana Grows Guide Deluxe. And that became the book that uh, that really sort of jump-started the whole uh, you know, really, domestic cultivation movement, right? It really did. It really did. Because it was taken seriously. The, the New York Times gave it a very good review. And uh, I think that the main thing, like when I talk to guys who are in their 40s and 50s, uh, a lot of them were growing pot as kids, you know, they were 13, 14 years old growing pot, and uh, most of them never really got anywhere be uh, uh, beyond harvesting leaf because they didn't know about the photo period. And once you know about the photo period, you can do all sorts of manipulations. You can keep the plants growing vegetatively or you can force them to flower. And once they knew that and they turned their lights down to 12 hours or so, boom, all of a sudden they were getting buds and it really changed a lot of their lives. Uh, like Todd McCormick and, and Kenny uh, uh, Morrow uh, have told me that, boy, that just really just set them off, you know, and, and they that's been their life now is uh, marijuana. Right, and it, it also coincided with um, people starting to breed cannabis and using uh, indicas to shorten the flowering times of sativas. And I know that you had some... Uh, um, Durban poison. To the Durban poison is a strain that you, you bred and developed, right? Yes. Uh, uh, Ed brought back seeds from Amsterdam, and Amsterdam was not the center of growing that it became in the 80s at all. It was just uh, he'd go over there and, and buy uh, various pots and bring back the seeds. And I would grow them, and a lot of them weren't very good, and a few of them struck me. But Durban poison to me was special, and it was special for the main reason was it was much shorter than anything. It, it uh it finished uh, at least a month before the Afghanis that we were growing. And uh, I was always looking for short season ones because I came from the East Coast. And the few people I knew out here who were growing uh, were basically harvesting leaf or a really crappy Mexican uh, when it flowered. Uh, so I really worked with that plant and had some good luck of also having 
help from a, a few other growers who could grow more than I could in my greenhouse. Uh, I grew with a woman where we must have grow, grown at least 40 females. And then another a grower who is still growing now is a real master grower named Kelly. Uh, he also took them. He was only about 19 at the time, but brought me back uh, every female labeled and uh, and which male he had he had pollinated the plant with. So I really had a good selection uh, in a matter of just a few years. Brought it from a very uh, spotty uh, kind of, uh, I think they were wild cannabis because th th there was no uniformity at all to the, the potency. And uh, brought it to a short season, quite potent uh, plant. The other distinctive thing about it was that it had uh, purple stigmas. And when the, the purple, uh, some of them had purple stigmas and some of them had white. And when you cross those, you got sort of a lavender. Just like when you have red stigmas and white stigmas, you get a pink when you cross them. So uh, I never got around to breeding it for those purple stigmas. And at the time, I didn't know this would be the last time I ever saw them uh, because I was primarily concentrated on the short season and the potency and was successful with that. And uh, you're also the... Uh the publisher and editor of Robert Carnell Clark's book, Hashish. Yes, uh, I am. With the exclamation point that I always love. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, how did that come about that you, uh, that you ended up well, doing I, that? I met uh, Rob and Dave. They came and visited us in uh, our house in Oakland. By that time, Ed and I had bought a house. Uh, I think that was in 77. And, uh, you know, they were real, you know, real breeders, real, real uh, students of, of marijuana. Uh, so, you know, we were all happy to meet each other, and we exchanged uh, various things. Uh, I mean, Dave Watson eventually brought, you know, the five basic varieties that started the entire seed industry in, in, uh, in Amsterdam. He brought Hindu Kush and uh, two that I know he was working on, um, which was Hayes and Skunk Number 1, and I gave him Afghani 1 and Durban Poison. And uh, when he got busted for the second time, uh, he was married with two children, he came and he, he basically said, I can't leave her anymore, and he moved to Amsterdam, and it's been there ever since. And uh, Rob Clark, uh, I wrote the, the foreword to his uh, uh, marijuana botany, which, like, I'll have to get that later, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which really brought the breeding in. The, the Deluxe uh, handled it, but kind of superficially. It didn't really go into it in the detail that Rob's uh, book did. And that really started a lot of people breeding more seriously. Right. And uh, it also coincided with a crackdown on imports. So things like Colombian and Thai and uh, Mexican and Jamaican were having a harder time crossing the border. And so I think there was more of an impetus at that point to grow well, our own. That, that may be, that didn't seem to affect any of the people I knew. We had <laughs> access to all those things, lots of Thai weed, Thai sticks, Buddhist sticks, Colombian, uh, Mexican, uh, uh, Jamaican, that was more rare on the West Coast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, somehow, you know, people of like mind gravitate to each other. So we exchanged a lot of things. I had about 200 land races at the time I finished there and uh, unfortunately lost them in an accident, uh, an unfortunate <laughs> accident. Now, um, you, got, you, know, you started off writing about cannabis and cultivation in the 70s. Um, then along came you know, the 80s um, and this big sort of just say no crackdown um, you know, on growing. Did you, did you sense that... Uh, that things were definitely going in the wrong direction at that time and, and yes in the 70s uh well one thing referring back to your last question uh homegrown also started to be accepted all right when i was growing uh like in new york uh, and, and people would come over and i'd give them part and they'd see it they'd say this green stuff wow it tastes like grass this is like, and then they would get high and <laughs> they would be surprised well then when you start to handle it and actually sell uh, not sell but uh you know sheer buds uh, it, it became part of the, it became part of the culture. Yeah. So homegrown went from like a term of derision Absolutely. to something that was desirable. Absolutely, yes. And people started to realize that when you bought Colombian or Mexican, uh, you know that most of the weight was in seeds. You get like thousand fifteen hundred seeds in, a, in a, an ounce of grass. <laughs> if you took it all out, you got like about a quarter of an ounce of grass, and the rest were seeds. 
<laughs> right. Um, now you um, you were around right, right at the beginning of High Times Magazine, right in yes. 1974. Um, can you tell any kind of uh, stories about what you know what the magazine was like at that time, or or Tom Fassad? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Tom was a you know a dealer at the time, and uh, he was a very organized dealer. And the one time I went to visit his operation, let's call it, uh, it was in a, a, a very nice apartment building. It might have been a commercial building, I'm not sure. But you entered a, one very nice room and, and you were always by yourself. You never saw anybody else there. And then, you know, Tom would ask you what you were interested in and you would tell him. And then he would bring out, you know, large bags of it, like, <laughs> you know, sacks of Colombian or whatever for you to look at and sample. Uh, and other than that, it was just, uh, you know, we wanted me to, uh, to write for High Times, uh, which I did. I, started, I answered some, some letter writers uh, for a while in, in some of the early editions. Yeah. Um, now, you know, it's 41 years later, and uh, a lot has obviously changed. The cannabis cultivation landscape, uh, the legalization right. now in four states, Oregon, um, just having gone legal yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, could you could you envision that back then, or did you imagine well, actually, that we'd be actually in the seventies? Uh, in the seventies, uh, we thought it was going to be legal pretty soon, <laughs> and uh, because it, it seemed like the the country was going in that direction, uh, you know, people were smoking pot everywhere. Uh, you had Woodstock; uh, they were reducing the uh, criminal penalties for it. But what happened is that uh, Ronald Reagan came in, and mm-hmm. uh, just say no was the next thing on the agenda. And also, actually, in New York, you had Rockefeller, who started imposing really, really uh, strict uh, penalties for all drugs. You know, mm-hmm. and also they took it out of the hands of the courts by making it determined uh, length of sentence and that sort of thing. So that really changed everything. And then you had Nancy with just say no, and it just went downhill from there. But in the 70s, like in the late 70s, when Ed and I were in Oakland, uh, you know, we had this little greenhouse in the back, but we also had, you know, uh, plants in pots outside, uh, maybe uh, one plant in the ground, and plants growing under lights in the attics. I had plants in the wood. We had had plants (laughs) growing everywhere, really. It was just, when I think back on it, we were really crazy. (laughs) And and we were fortunate, uh, like, uh, in terms of getting busted, like I've never been arrested, and I've just been uh, one thing, uh, nuts, don't do stupid stuff, mm-hmm. mostly. And also lucky when I was doing stupid stuff. But one time uh, there was a fire in uh, the adjacent lot to our greenhouse. And neither Ed or I were home. And when I came back, uh, the fire trucks were just leaving and there was a crowd of neighbors out there. And they all said, wow, you're growing a lot of pot back there. They just kept bringing out bagful and bagful and bagful. So I thought that I was going to be arrested. So I I went back to my my room and uh, took all my land races and seeds and boxed them up and gave them to a neighbor to hold until I finished with whatever was going to happen to me. Uh, Nothing ever really happened to me. I guess the fireman just split up the pot, uh, never told the cops. And, uh, but that was the end of my land races because I didn't pick up the land races for maybe about six weeks. And what I didn't know was that uh, my neighbor was dealing meth and was, got really paranoid at a certain point and took all the seeds and hit him in his attic. Well, the, uh, an attic in Oakland, California in the summer <laughs> is going to get up 120 degrees. And that was, they were all fried after that. Wow. Well, um, you, you mentioned having moved out to the West Coast, but I sense that there's, uh, in your accent, some, some East Coast roots. <laughs> That's uh, amazing, right? <laughs> um, I guess... 52 uh, years later, it's still there. Right? <laughs> and I left, I left uh, 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 Lynn, which is just north of Boston, in uh, uh, 1963, when wow. I, I went into the service, yeah, right. All right. Um, well, what's going on with, with you now? I mean, I know you have this uh, Instagram account that people should definitely be following because the photographs are amazing and there's some great stuff there. Uh, oh, thank you. That's uh, Mel Frank 420. People want to follow it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually did that at the behest of uh, a company that I work with, uh, Spliffin, which makes a concentrate in the vapor pens that goes with it. And they've been very good. I like the company very much. I like the people that I'm, I'm working with there. 
they're serious about the business, they're professional, and uh, they're fun. So, I mean, that's a great combination. And I work with another uh, uh, smaller group, which is Clade 9. They do, they do a lot of genetics. Uh, they also manage grows, like they manage grows in, in Arizona. And uh, they do, uh, you know, some real worthwhile experiments. So I've been collaborating with them for about five years, and uh, recently they asked me to be their senior advisor. <laughs> and I commented, you want me to be your official senior advisor? You've been getting all this advice for free for all these years. <laughs> now you want to pay me? <laughs> uh, well, you got to give it away uh, right. to get it back, right? right? right. Um, and if people want to purchase uh, your books, my books, um, is, would they go to Red oh. Eye Press? No, I don't have a website anymore. Uh, I suppose I should. Really what I have left is uh, I have mostly hurt copies. Uh, what happened is when I stopped, uh, I told this distributor, my, my last large distributor, that I was not going to uh, reprint the books. They simply just boxed everything up in crappy boxes uh, without stacking them and sent me back five pallets of books. So all of them have like a, a tour, not a tour, but a bent corner or or a Mara on the cover, that sort of thing. And I'm not, it's really just through Amazon that I've been selling them. Amazon. I do have Rob Clark's latest edition in, in new, you know, uh, shrink-wrapped copies. That's That that I still sell through Amazon. Mm -hmm. And a, a substantial amount of your photos are in Jorge's new book as well, right? The yeah, Cannabis I have, Encyclopedia. I have 144 uh, photos in that book, yes. Wow. Right, right on. Right. Cool. Well, um, I know you've got to get going. That's probably the, <laughs> the third time it's wrong. I know it. Yeah, I'll let you okay. take that. Um, but thank you so much for stopping by. Um, everybody, check out uh, Mel Frank's Instagram account at melfrank420. Tell them Free Weed sent you. Um, thank you so much for all of the many years of uh, contributions to the cultivation scene. Uh, we wouldn't be where we're where we're at uh, politically or grow-wise without right. the tremendous amount of uh, contributions that you made okay. at a time of great expense to, to yourself okay. and your, your well-being and, and uh, safety. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for coming on the show, and uh, keep up the great work. Uh, thank you very much for your kind words, Dan. All right. Well, it was certainly a treat to have uh, Mel Frank in the studio and, and yeah. chat with him a little bit. Legend. Absolutely. So, I would imagine it's probably been a fortnight since our last <laughs> strain. <laughs> Several fortnights. So, you, you probably have a, a strain of the fortnight for I us. I do. All right. I do. I'm not 100% sure if I haven't done this one before, but I'm not going to go through 82 episodes and figure it out. So, um, We used to I keep such good track of these things. <laughs> and true. Uh, it's true, but this is one of my favorites. Um, it's Satori from Mandala Seeds. Um, if you want to know more about it, it's at mandalaseeds.com. But uh, it's a wonderful sativa. This is like, if you're a sativa lover, you're going to rejoice at this one. It's really amazing. Um, the breeders are Mike and Jasmine, and one of the very interesting things about them um, and very unique things about them is that they, uh, they create their strains from pretty rare genetics found in Nepal and India. Um, these are, this is some of the strongest herb on earth. It's really amazing. They've been growing um, marijuana for hash for centuries. They've been growing it for uh, drinks, bang, lassies, and all kinds of stuff. Um, so the potency levels are amazing. The, uh, they're also strong strains. I mean, they grow uh, in mountains and, and, and places where, um, you know, basically you, you just don't, you know, you get poor, pretty poor conditions. So if you take these, uh, you know, to a place like Canada or northern U.S., um, you're going to have really good results. Uh, this is an amazing sativa. Not super long flowering, 9 to 10 weeks. Definitely recommend the full 10-week uh, flowering period. Um, but they stay nice and short. They're, they're pretty stocky. Um, you know, kind of, I mean, it's a hybrid, so there's some indica there, obviously. Um, but like I said, rare genetics. And Mike and Jasmine, they sell only the F1 seeds. Um, and we'll talk about that a little later in the segment. Um, but they have hybrid vigor, so the plants... Um, basically, they have a stronger resistance to heat, uh, pests, and all kinds of different deadly diseases, molds, viruses, all the things that attack our plants. So it's a great plant to have to grow and then to smoke. Uh, it's just amazing. Very electric high, um, no ceiling. You keep smoking and you keep getting higher. Um, so Satori is really amazing. If you have a high THC tolerance, um, I highly recommend Satori. Um, for people who are medical users, 
Uh, a lot of times people want to look for something to ease depression and anxiety and those type of symptoms. Satori is perfect for that. Some sativas can make your heart race uh, and actually sometimes cause anxiety or, uh, you know, trigger that sort of thing with people. But Satori is very, um, even though it has that electric feeling, it's actually very sort of mellowing as well. It's not couch lock, but it's very cerebral and thoughtful. So great for depression and anxiety, probably also for PTSD if people are suffering from that. Um, easy to manicure, um, really fun to grow, very, a pleasure to cultivate. Um, of course, we're going to talk about pheno hunting a little later, and maybe I'll even use this as an example. But um, yeah, Satori is an amazing strain, um, very light feeder, um, like most sativas or sativa dominant strains. So take it easy on the nutrients. Um, and like I said earlier, let them go the full 10 weeks, um, for full enlightenment. Um, so it's Nepalese land race back cross, which is really amazing stuff. I had it as a high times top 10 strain in 2007. Um, if you check out my book or if you look it up on our HighTimes.com website, you'll see photos of it. It's a really beautiful plant. Um, very amazing, similar in some ways to the strawberry cough and like some of the, the other hazes that, that we love, but very unique as well. So that is the strain of the Fortnite. It is Satori from Mandala Seeds. All right. Very nice. And it uh, feels good to get back into the swing of things with the strain of the Fortnite. Yeah. An oldie and a goodie. Mm-hmm. But you have a, a cultivation tip for us, and it is pheno hunting, right? Pheno hunting. That's our topic. Which, yeah, which I don't think it's something that we've talked about before. We talked about mother plants and that sort of thing, and it's a similar thing. Um, but it's actually finding the right phenotype for you. Um, phenotype is basically the different variations uh, that you can get in a plant. You can get the same seeds. You can you can buy a 10-pack of Satori seeds um, from Mandela, and you're going to get some variation. Each seed is going to make a plant that's slightly different. Um, just even, even with stable genetics, there's always going to be some differences in phenotypical expressions, right? So you want... The, the, the thing about having a mother plant is you're going to grow clones from this thing, hopefully, for years. So uh, pheno, phenotype hunting is very important when you're picking which mother plant you're going to keep alive. Um, common mistake is people don't buy enough seeds. You definitely want to make sure, uh, like, 10 is the minimum. If you really, really want to pheno hunt, uh, I suggest 50, 100, that sort of thing, maybe even more uh, if you can afford it. But if you really want to find the one for you, um, you know, 10 is basically the minimum you can really find something good out of. Uh, and keep in mind, if it's something like Satori, you're going to get a certain amount of males, you know, simil- you know, typically around 50-50, but you might get uh, six males and four females. So then you're really only working with four plants to choose from. Now, as far as pheno hunting, <coughs> excuse me, um, you're going to grow your plants out. You're going to get those seeds, right? Let's say you've got 10 seeds. <coughs> Um, you're probably going to get five, let's say five and five females to males. Um, grow them out at when they're seedlings, you know, just keep them in the vegging stage. Keep them really happy. Don't let them stretch out. You know, make sure the lights are, are nice and low on the plants, not burning them, but just enough to keep the, sh- the stems from stretching and the plant from reaching for light. Um, I certainly wouldn't take your clones super early after two weeks or so. You really want the plant to start expressing at least pre-flowers so you want to go um, I would say three to four weeks until you have like a good amount of vegetative growth and then you're going to take a cutting from each plant so let's say you've got your 10 10 seedlings um, you label them one through ten you take a clone from each of those seedlings label them one through ten corresponding to the plant you took the clone from and you keep the plants themselves growing in the vegetative stage and you root the clones now when you root the clones, you're also going to want uh, to veg them out as well. Okay, so you can do this all in the same room. You can root the clones right where the same uh, future mother plants are going to be held, and basically, um, you want to root them. Uh, we talked about cloning a lot. Uh, very important: humidity and heat, uh, warmth. So clones like to be warm and they like to be humid. Make sure they're warm and humid and well lit, and you will see roots popping out within a week, maybe two weeks tops. And at that point, you want to transfer those clones into, uh, you know, you don't need a huge container because you're not going to go nuts with them. But, um, you know, cups or some kind of a decent, you know, gallon or smaller size containers, Um, again, corresponding with the numbers to their mother plants. Now you're going to veg them out. Um, Sometimes, uh, you know, I've said in the past, you know, just flower them. 
uh, immediately as they root. Now that's only to determine sex. If you're actually pheno hunting, you really want to let them veg a little bit. So give those clones um, at least, I would say, two to three weeks of vegging. Even a month might be fine. But, you know, you're taking your time here because you want the plant to express itself. And if it's flowered too young, it's not really going to give you um, all the information that you're looking for. So veg it out a little bit and then uh, take those clones, the rooted clones that you're vegging, and put them in a flowering chamber under 12, 12 and 12, 12 hours of light and 12 hours of darkness per day, and they will begin to flower. Now, um, very soon you'll be able to see which ones are males. Kill the males, get rid of them unless you plan on breeding or anything else like that with those. Um, but kill the males immediately as soon as you realize that they're males. Um, and keep the females. Now, assuming you had 50-50, you're going to have five females, and there's going to be um, various phenotypes uh, reflected in those females. Now that they're flowering, you're going to see which ones are putting on bulk, you know, weight, if that's what you're looking for, um, which ones are starting their resin production early, if that's what you're looking for. All these things are personal preferences, but you want to find the one out of those five that's really the one for you. So like I said, it's, you know, it's personal preference and what you're looking for. Me personally, it's all about the high. Um, not that concerned with you know, yield or anything else of that nature so much, or even flowering times. I mean, I find that some of the, some of the most amazing plants uh, out there don't yield a lot and don't uh, flower for very short periods of time. You know, it's like nine weeks or more. So if you're, if that's not a concern, that's what you're looking for. If you know, you're a cash cropper, you want nice short stocky plants that are done in 50 days, then that's what you're looking for. Uh, I'm not here to judge. I'm just telling you, you know, Find it in those clones that you've rooted um, as they're flowering, and then you know you're going to want to go through the whole process: flower them, harvest them, um, dry them, cure them, and smoke them. And the one that you want to keep out of those five, you go back to your vegging plants, which at this point should be pretty well, you know, uh, pretty big, um, because they've been vegging this whole time. You've been going through this process with the clones. Um, so you should have lots of different shoots on them. You have them labeled one through five now because you've discarded the males. Um, let's just say the number five one is the keeper. You go to that number five uh, plant um, that's been only vegging all this time, and you discard one through four, and you keep that number five plant as your mother plant. Now, the great thing about that, obviously, is you're able to keep growing that same phenotype out time after time again, and you can fill rooms with with clones uh, from that plant that are going to be exactly what you've been looking for. So um, it's similar to picking out a mother plant, but it's pheno hunting. It's like finding the best representation of a certain pack of seeds uh, or a breeder um, that you've been looking for. So if you you know you're working with DNA, you're working with you know DJ Short, whatever it might be, you really want to find the pheno that's right for you, and then hang on to it, keep it around for as long as you can. Um, and keep growing it, and then you'll be very happy with it. I mean, a lot of people waste a lot of time growing plants that that aren't what they really what they're looking for. So um, take the extra months to do the pheno hunting. It's not easy, but it's important to make sure you've got what you want, and then you just keep it, share it, uh, you know, do everything you want with it. But it's yours to grow out now forever, uh, and that's the way to to really find the phenotype that you're looking for. Um, one small note I would also say is don't use feminized strains for this. Some people will do that. Uh, I don't really recommend it. I think you really want to go with regular seeds. Um, certainly, of course, not auto-flowering, but even feminized, I would stay away from for pheno hunting. Feminized are good for, you know, if you're just planting the seeds and growing them out um, and you want the ease of not having to worry about males. But if you're really hunting for a mother that you want to hang on to for, for a long time, um, stick with regular seeds, go through the process with the males, get rid of them, um, pick the female that you want, and keep her. All right. And I guess this would also be good if you are, say, growing specifically for extracts, if you're uh, going to make concentrates, but you're looking for certain traits, you know, um, in, oh, yeah. in flavor or... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If that's a handy thing to mm -hmm. do. If that's what you're looking for, yeah, then, you know, you can smoke some of the bud from it, or you can, you know... Excuse me, you can use whatever technique it is that you prefer, whether it be ice water extraction, dry sift, or, uh, or you know, blasting with BHO, uh, you know, butane, or, or whatever solvent you choose. 
Um, but do that and make sure that, you know, that's the one you want to keep for that as well. I mean, that's such a popular thing lately. Um, so yeah, Mike, thanks for reminding me. Like that's a, an important part of phenotype hunting as well. And that'll really give you a good representation of what, uh, you know, what cannabinoids and terpenes and, and flavonoids are actually present in that phenotype that you've chosen as your keeper. All right, cool. And uh, our colleague, Craig Coffey, I think is going to come on at some point in the next uh, few weeks and talk to us a little bit about growing specifically for concentrates and what you're, you, you know, just give us some tips on that. Uh, okay, so now it's time to move on to my favorite part of the show. And uh, we haven't done this in a while, so we, we are a little backlogged. We'll try to get to your question, but we have questions for Danny, and uh, he's going to answer them on air. So what do you say we hop right in? Let's do it. All right. First one. It's from. We, sh- uh, we should say that like yeah. most of the, the questions we've gotten have been, when are you bringing back the podcast? Good point. So, yes. So we, <laughs> so we here... stipulate that, that the majority of you wrote us notes like, uh, where the hell are you? Wondering if you're still alive, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> we kind of rooted those out, and uh, we're, we're not going to read all of them. Right. Yeah. But oh. we heard, we hear you loud and clear, and <laughs> we we're back. <laughs> and we're back. Exactly. So and we're back. And we're back. And we're just going to kind of read questions that actually, you know, that we have answers for. True. All right. As opposed to what the fuck is your problem? <laughs> I don't know. All right. What happened? Our buddy Puff Tentacle writes, um, Mike and Danny love the podcast. I recently got caught flat-footed. My first outdoor grow. I'm growing Trans-Siberian autoflower in the Alaska sunshine. Wow. Uh, All was well until the ladies started flowering around nine weeks, and I started to notice holes in the leaves. Eek, caterpillars. I've grown indoors and am familiar with neem oil for mites, but caterpillars, WTF. I reviewed Jorge's book and decided to get uh, some BT. Am I doomed? It seems that BT is for prevention and not that effective in the middle of an infestation, but the plants are flowering and I don't want to put anything on the buds. Um, Very frustrated. What would you say to Puff Tentacle? Is all lost? All is not lost, Puff Tentacle. Um, Basically, um, the caterpillars, if you let them keep going, you will lose uh, some plants or some leaves. I mean, they, they cause holes in the leaves. Um, eventually they get inside the stems and the buds, particularly like you said, your plants are flowering already. Um, so really take a really close look. Um, basically there's a variety of things you can do to get rid of them. Um, the first thing is you pick them off. I mean, any ones you can see, find them, pick them off by hand, discard them. Um, at that point is a good time to apply insecticidal spray. Um, I recommend neem oil, uh, diluted in water. Um, that always works well. You can also alternate treatments with BT, which you mentioned. That's basically permethrin dust. Um, there's a product called Spinosad that's very popular. Um, that, like you said, it is preventative, but it'll help keep them from coming back if you can pick as many of them off as you can. Now, for, as far as the ones you can't pick off and that are already there, um, because it's flowering, I wouldn't recommend too much uh, of that spray. So you might want to get some beneficial predators, Okay. Um, these are, you know, nematodes um, that can basically help in the defense against uh, your caterpillars. Um, one that's great is the praying mantis because they're big and caterpillars are big. There's not a lot of, uh, of course, praying mantises are insects. They're not nematodes, but they're great um, for this particular issue. And they're really kind of cool to watch, too, because they, they're very interesting creatures. Um, and all they do is eat other creatures. They don't eat your plants. So having some praying mantises as sort of protection around your plants is always a good thing. Um, it's also pretty satisfying to watch them devour <laughs> the plants that are, you know, the pests that are feasting on your on your leaves and buds. You feel kind of powerless, and then suddenly you have this, like, war going on on your plants. It's really kind of cool. Um, basically, you order them dormant through the mail. You release them at the base of your plants. Uh, at that point, you know, get yourself some popcorn, nice, you know, spliff, and watch uh, those cool insects get to work because they do some pretty cool stuff. And like I said, they're not going to harm your flowering plants at all. So that's what I would do for caterpillars, my friend. All right. Yeah, so that's definitely better than throwing some pesticide on the plants that are flowering. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, good luck to you, Puff Tentacle. Let us know how that goes. Let's move on to Steely Dan. Uh, Steely Dan writes, long story short, I was rear-ended by a drunk driver. My spine was fractured. I do expect compensation for my injury. If I'm so fortunate, I want to spend anything I get on school. I'm 23, a Nevada resident with a green thumb. 
I wonder if you know what schooling is required for a THC lab assistant or things in that field. What, what do you think? What would you recommend to Steely Dan? Huh. Okay. Um, for lab assistant, I think organic chemistry is your best bet. Um, you really want to just get to know the compounds that you're dealing with and uh, extraction processes, um, not just for cannabis, but for all kinds of different plants. Now, it also doesn't hurt to have a botany background. So, you know, any classes you can take on um, cultivation. Uh, of course, there's always Oaksterdam University in Oakland, which is an amazing institution that a lot of people have copied since and, uh, you know, have tried to sort of duplicate. Um, but, you know, you get a very comprehensive idea of all the different aspects of the cannabis uh, industry, business, cultivation, you know, all that stuff, opening your own dispensary, starting a lab, what, you know, how labs work, all of that. So um, I would say, you know, just organic chemistry, botany, and, uh, you know, basic cultivation stuff. There's so much great information online. Uh, obviously, don't believe everything you read online, but find a, you know, credible source and, you know, do some exploring. You may not have to go to school um, for all this, but certainly uh, if you're going to be a lab tech, a uh, degree in organic chemistry is essential and vital for that. And so I would highly recommend that. And also, as a side note, uh, really sorry about your spinal injury and everybody out there. Please remember not to drive drunk. Indeed. And um, also, let us know what's going on out in uh, Vegas. I'd be interested in, in hearing what the scene is like right now for you guys out there. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so thank you very much, Steely Dan. Keep us posted. Let's move on to our buddy Carlton. He writes, Danny Danko, please write a grow slash breeding book. I would love to add your knowledge to my grow book collection. And please let me know personally so I can be the very first person to buy it. I would also uh, love to have you sign it for me. Thanks for all you do. Go free weed. P.S. Where's the free weed at? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, thank you for the kind words. Uh, I'd love to write a grow uh, breeding book. I did the strain book um, maybe five years ago or so. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm due. Um, I'll pitch it to High Times and see what they say. I'd love to put out a grow book. I have uh, definitely have some unique ideas out there that I haven't seen in some of the other books. And, you know, my philosophy really is just keep it simple and, you know, really try to just get down to the basics, you know, underfeeding, underwatering rather than overfeeding and overwatering. Um, I'm not a big CO2 fan. If you listen to the show a lot, you probably know that. Unless you're in some big warehouse type space, you, you probably don't really need to supplement with CO2. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like I said, so there's some interesting things. We could probably throw uh, DJ Short's 1311 thing in there, um, you know, of course, with credit to him for that. Um, but there's a lot of interesting stuff that I've learned over the years, um, you know, just from growing and from talking with so many growers and breeders. So that'd be exciting. I'd love to do that. So I will... Uh, I'll keep you posted, Carlton, and you will be the first. Uh, you'll be the first person to you're, buy you're it. First in line, buddy. <laughs> first you in just line, reserved man. your spot for yeah. a Danko Grow book. Yeah, man. Thanks for the kind words, and uh, you know, hopefully, I will be putting together a book sometime soon. And uh, in response to your PS, here's the free weed. Yeah, the free weed is here. The free weed is over here. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. Our friend Nick writes, "Hi, Danny and Mike. Uh, I'm growing autoflowers due to limited time in the space I have." Um, are there any training methods that can be used to increase the quality of the yield? Or would you recommend uh, letting her grow completely uninterrupted? So what, what do you think, autoflowering? Uh, yeah, I don't recommend any sort of training methods with autoflowering because um, you're, there's such a limited amount of growing time. Autoflowers basically get to a certain height and automatically flower regardless of the photo period. So... Um, you don't really have much time to do any sort of pruning or training techniques. You, what you get is what you get. And one of the benefits of autoflowering plants is that they do stay short and stocky in that way. So you can hide them easier if they're outdoors. Um, and if they're indoors, you can do it in small spaces um, where you don't have a lot of overhead room uh, with the lighting and the equipment and everything else. So um, the benefits of autoflowering is that they stay so, so short and stocky. Um, one of the set drawbacks is that, uh, you know, besides the fact that there's ruderalis genetics in there that's um, diluting some of the potency, um, you really can't really do any sort of screen of green or uh, trellising or training of autoflowers. They just don't, they don't live long enough. All right. Well, there you go. And uh, Nick would also like some uh, free weed stickers. So let's make sure we... Uh... Yeah, I think I sent him some. Oh, I'm you pretty did sure. That. Yeah, All I right. sent him some stickers. 
so yeah, if you want some stickers, I do have stickers. Send us an email to freeweed at hightimes.com uh, with an address, and I will try to put some in the mail for you until they run out. Um, yeah, and the other thing about this is the reason the autoflowers can do that is, or you know, you don't want to train them, is the same reason that you do want to train regular plants. Um, because you get a longer vegetative time with regular plants. so And you control that vegetative time. So that's why during that time, you can trim, you can, you can prune, you can train, you can do screen of green. You can do all kinds of different things to um, ensure that you get a bigger yield. But it's only because you control when the plant begins to flower. And with autos, you do not. Makes sense to me. All right. So uh, thanks, Nick. We appreciate it. And um, just a quick shout out to another fellow who would like some stickers. Uh, Michael writes just to just to commiserate or I guess celebrate also being a Union City, California resident. I oh, suppose yeah. I mentioned this in episode 38 that I um, I am from Union City, California. <laughs> he is as well. So small world. He's grown out there and uh, he says it's like a little Mendo. Not bad. Nice. All right. So, uh, yeah, Michael, why don't you send us your, your address out there in Union City, and we'll make sure you get some free weed stickers in the mail. And uh, let's move on to uh, Epilepsy Dad on the East Coast. Now, uh, listeners might remember about a year ago, um, th- uh, we got a letter, and uh, we heard about his son who is, suffers from epilepsy. And so the father is growing CBD-rich strains. Well, he writes us now, uh, Danny and Mike, I miss your show. When are you coming back? Well, we're back. Mm-hmm. We're back. Um, but uh, the good news, since my last email, my son is now seizure-free on a combination of high CBD and THCA oils. Nice. That's yeah. excellent. It's all thanks to the plant and uh, all of the numerous people who have helped our family. So uh, he just wanted to send a note in uh, as a follow-up there. Right on. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's really good to hear um, that, the, that you know the treatment was successful. I uh, wouldn't wish... Um, the type of epileptic fits that I've seen on anyone um, really does uh, seem to really hinder the quality of life of people and, and in some cases, you know, kill them. So it is amazing that you're able to do this, uh, especially on the East Coast. And, you know, give my best to your child. And thank you so much. I mean, we love to hear this from listeners. Uh, we love to hear the stories like that, you know, where um, we, you know, we either, we recommended something or we helped out somehow and it ended up really changing the quality of someone's life and, and cannabis has that effect and we're just happy to be a conduit for it. It's not about me. It's not about my cues. It's not really well, it's a little bit about me. <laughs> it's about the plant though. And yeah. it's healing plant. And, and like Dr. Grinspoon said, uh, years ago, one day we're going to look back at, at cannabis as being as important as something like penicillin. Uh, or any of the other amazing, you know, herbal remedies that people use. Obviously, penicillin, not herbal, but uh, well, it's just you know, so crazy that, great that some people don't have access to this thing when it can so clearly help their children. I mean, yeah, I don't know how many times you have to see it, you know, to believe it. But I guess if when people have it in their family, they they finally believe it, you know, um, which is the case, I guess, with a lot of different, you know, ailments and diseases. It, it, once it strikes you, and you see the effectiveness of the medicine. Uh, you know, you can't forget it and you want to make sure everyone can get it. So that's part of what Freeweed's about. Um, of course, we're connoisseurs, we're, you know, we're aficionados, but um, we obviously want to help the patients for whom cannabis is essential. So um, thanks. And it's great to hear that, uh, that it's working out for you. And we are back. So hopefully, you know, you'll stick with us. Thank you for your patience as well. All of you guys who wrote to us. Um, yeah, thanks for your patience with us and, you know, we're going to keep, we're going to keep the show going. So thank you very much. All right. Absolutely. So that does it for uh, Q and a, but if you have a question that you would like Dan to answer on free weed, uh, you could write us. We are freeweed at hightimes.com on Twitter. He is at Danny Danko. I am at my cues underscore. What do you say? We take a little break, but then come back, put a bow on it. Wrap it up with raw. Wrap it up with raw. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so episode 83 of Free Weed, a long time from episode 82, <laughs> but I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, we really uh, let 82 breathe. <laughs> yeah, we let that one breathe for a while, but we will be back uh, with episode 84 very shortly as well, and we're going to try to maintain consistency for you guys because you guys have been patient with us, and we want to make sure you get all the free weed you deserve. Um, thank you, of course, as always, to Mr. Mel Frank, 
uh, for coming through and, and uh, blessing us with that interview and, and some of the reminiscence from the past and, and you know, definitely check him out on Instagram and, and all the places you can find him, get his books on uh, Amazon. Thank you to him. Uh, yeah, we did the recaps. We talked about the cups, uh, November issue preview. Um, thanks to Jacques and Winstrong. Thanks, as always, to my co-host, producer, Mike Hughes. All right. And don't, I'll, I'll, don't forget to go to CannabisCup.com. Yes. Go check out. we got a bunch of events coming up, and oh, you're yeah. not going to want to miss them, so do that. Absolutely. Central Cali, Jamaica. We're very excited about all of these. Um, if you can't make either one of those, um, definitely try to come to uh, Southern Cali, San Bernardino, in February. Um, so, as always, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for sticking with the free weed project and uh if you know anybody who wants to advertise get them in touch with us if you want some stickers get in touch with us um check us out on facebook on twitter on all the instagram and all that stuff um i recently started a periscope who knew check me out on there <laughs> periscope <laughs> periscope it's, i know a, you just walk around i've only done one or? i've only what done one it? it kind of freaked me out i got on there and suddenly there was like a lot of people commenting and this and that it's, it was a little overwhelming so yeah. But I'll, I'll try it back again, and, and we'll see what happens. Hopefully, you guys will, uh, will be on there. Maybe we can even periscope uh, a taping of the show sometime. That might be kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, we have the technology, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, it's basically just a phone. Right. <laughs> That's the technology. Right. But, yeah. I don't, You know what? I'll meerkat, but I don't know if I'm going to periscope. Okay. What you happened can meerkat? to meerkat? That's so unfair. They had like two weeks, they, and then. Yeah, they got periscoped yeah, out of the business. They sure did. Well, either way, we're going to keep up with whatever the kids are doing out there um, in order to make sure you guys get free weed as much as possible and that we free the weed for the people who need it. And that includes the patients, the uh, veterans, and people like us who just like to get high. (laughs) So uh, that, I guess, is the wrap. We wrapped it up with raw papers, and now I guess we should commence to putting it in the books. 